consciously connected leader will be someone, firstly, they have enough peace and pause to be able to look you eye to eye, hand to hand and heart to heart. If someone is so busy, they can't actually direct a gaze and look in your eye. They're not hearing you. They may be listening to you. They may, may be reading your emails, but they're not, they're, not, they're not hearing. They're not hearing what's going on. They're not sensing what's going on. A consciously connected CEO is someone who has that gut instinct, that knowing, and they take that knowing and they match it with their intellectual and analytical and they match it and they breed it into one. So it's not just the numbers, the stats, the figures, the services, the strategic plan that they've got in place. Helping CEOs and business leaders discover the energy to perform exceptional brilliance and positively impact the lives of those around them. Be inspired by world leaders and next level gurus. This is the Active CEO Podcast, where the ordinary don't belong. And now your hosts, Craig Johns and Ben Gathercole. On this episode of the Active CEO Podcast, we speak with a wonderful woman who has chosen health and wellness of people and businesses around the world over a corporate life. The early part of her life included living in Queensland, Australia, where she attended St. Adane's Anglican Girls College. She completed a certificate in business studies at Lorraine Martin Business College, and later on in her career, a diploma in holistic therapies at Swindon College in the UK. Our guest has spent over 25 years working in and around defense, including being an executive in the corporate world, dealing with large multi-million dollar government and defense contracts. This has included working in various managerial roles at Toll, CIPS Australia, Supply Chain and Logistics Association of Australia, Rhine Metal Man Military Vehicles Australia, and LMB Consulting. In 2013, she founded the Pillar Practice, where they decrypt the mysteries of life through a journey of healing. Her trademark, the Pillar Code, is now formally recognized as a new modality in 26 countries. I'm honored to have the privilege to present to you an incredible lady who spent eight years as a director at Lifeline Canberra, which exists to support people in crisis and save the lives of those experiencing thoughts of suicide, PJ Ashley. PJ, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's lovely to be here. So growing up in a warm temperate climate, which is quite a contrast to Canberra at the moment, which is about six or seven degrees. <laughs> which is known for its yeah. great lifestyle, must have been a lot of fun. What kept you busy and inspired as a child? Mum and Dad were um, sports people anyway. So Dad was a um, surf life-saving champion in Sydney and his name is still in Manly Surf Life Saving Club as, as the, um, he was full-time um, Australian champion in one day. And so he was a swimmer and kept swimming right until his, till his late 70s. Um, so we were always had a very, very active lifestyle, brought up around the beach in Sydney, but um, we moved to, to Brisbane and we were always travelling up and down to, to the coast. So I was brought up in a pool. I think I could swim before I could walk. <laughs> and uh, we just had a really, just a normal, wonderful, active lifestyle with lots of swimming, lots of barbecues. Um, I'm one of four kids. Mum and Dad were in small businesses and just basically had a lot of fun. You know, you know, my sister was a Queensland State tennis player. My brothers were into um, cricket and football and um, I ended up um, moving away from the sporting mold a bit and I was a dancer. Very I good. absolutely loved my dancing and I did ballroom dancing and Latin American and jazz ballet and I kept my fitness that way. And you still dance now? Oh gosh, I have to say this is on my my list of get my life back into balance, and um, you know my kids laugh at me and go, "It's been on the list for for a bit too long," <laughs> and uh, it's something that I absolutely passionate about, and I've come back and forth to dance throughout my life, but I would ideally like to go back to my original passion of ballroom dancing. Uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. It's on the list. I think you did set yourself a challenge there. <laughs> I did. You studied business at university before embarking on a 25-year corporate career that included working with multi-million dollar government and defence contracts. What attracted you to study business? 
It it wasn't a university. It um, it was literally it's a it was a business college to give it an all round um, look at um, at the business life. Really, I was not great at school. I was not I was not what you would call a scholar. I was the the nice girl that that looked after everybody. And one of the one of my issues at school was that when a new girl would come into to um, our class, I would always be chosen as the one to show around the school. And I'm going, no, I've got to I've got to listen to chemistry because I'm not getting it. Um, so I was a nice girl in school, but I wasn't I wasn't you know um, you know setting the world on fire at all. And my headmistress actually pulled me aside at one point and she said, there are some people who are just born to be academics and other people are born to change the world. You're not the academic, you're the one to change the world. And, and it really sat with me and I thought she's just, she's just you know, placating me for the fact I'm study so hard and I work so hard. So um, I was really a bit lost. A lot of my friends are going off to either um, nursing um, you know, or teaching, all the traditional girls sort of things. And so I went, no, I, I would like to know how businesses are run. I've come from parents who were around small business, although dad was um, the, the national sales and marketing manager for 3M company, a really large company. But I had far more interest in business than, than the other fields. What a f- profound statement for someone, you know, quite influential in your life at school to make that statement that mm-hmm. you were born to make a difference. Uh, yes. And, and obviously we're really seeing that come to life now. That, that ability for someone to see that in someone is, is so important because nowadays we see schools really pushing people into, you must go to university, you must go to university, mm-hmm. you've got to get a degree in that traditional sense. But for you it was, you know, look, I have something else special that doesn't require me to be an absolute scholar. Yeah, and I look. I, um, I you know, I have to say that I've spent a lot of my time when you know people say, "Well, what university did you go to? Or what have you studied? Or you know, what are your degrees?" Uh, and I, I did spend a lot of my time with a bit of a chip on my shoulder, going, "You know, I've, I've been to the University of Life, but I, I can't say what campus I've been to." So, so my journey has been one of experience and of discovery, and I've I've really filled the bucket in that department. <laughs> So, um, you know, two of my three children have been to university. Um, my former husband, he was, you know, had a huge, huge amount of degrees. I'm, I'm all for education, but for some people, it doesn't fit, and and I was one of them. Let's delve into those early, the early times of your career, and what type of work did you start out doing? Oh gosh, Craig! I started. I did did lots of things. Um, really, from the time that um, I was fifteen, I started in in retail, um, uh, and, and hospitality. Mum found it really hard to get me to my ballroom dancing classes when I was I was fifteen, and it was a really expensive sport. And so she just told me one day that she said, "Look, I I can't get you there. I've got to get your brothers to the cricket and the football." And I had a little sister who was just you know going up the ranks in tennis and. And um, so I thought, well, bugger that, you know, if you can't, if you can't afford it, then I'm going to have to find the money and, and afford it. So I just marched on down to my local convenience store and, and you know, <laughs> as Brass went in and said, I can work for you and, and you need me. Do you have a job going? And they just looked at me and went, actually, we were just talking about it. And yeah, you're hired. So, so I just started off, um, whilst I was at school, I had two, two jobs, walked in a, I worked in a sports centre and at a convenience store. Then I worked in hospitality um, a lot, I ended up being a functions event manager. Um, I worked in um, real estate agencies because I loved that, that passion, I love, I love the, the building and real estate um, industry. But I met my husband when I was 18, so um, my life changed quite quickly because he was a career army officer and so I was engaged at 19, married at 21, um, had my first child by 23, next one 26, next one 29 and followed his career around with with the um, Defence Force. So every posting I had I, I did something different and I was just constantly just just um, really keen just to learn. and. I get bored easily, so I will get to a point in a in a job or a career, and I, and and when it becomes steady state, 
I'm dangerous. It's not good. And then I then I just I'm just just eager to learn more. So I was constantly constantly changing. But but a lot of the work that I was doing was voluntary work, um, voluntary work with the defence families and um, all around what I now know. Uh, what I now know is is around mental health and survival and resilience because. You know, we would sit there and, and literally at seven o'clock one night be told that, that the battalion was about to be deployed the next morning and you've got 500 families sitting in Darwin or Townsville with no family around with then no support. And so, you know, I, I, I loved that. I, I kicked into action pretty quickly. So was that around the time when you first discovered your talent for managing and leading people? I don't know if it's that I was told I was bossy or I was an organiser or I just had to survive. When when I had three kids under six, we were in Townsville, um, my former husband um, was then sent into Rwanda and he led the advance party into Rwanda. Um, you know, we say goodbye and you don't know when you're going to see them again. Mm. And that's, you know, it's that's not an exaggeration. You've got to make sure all the, the wills are up to date, your insurances are up to date, their affairs are all up to date. And you know, you say goodbye and that's it. And you don't know when the deployments are over, when they're coming home, what's happening. So you either sink or swim. And we, we found that with families there, some women really, really struggled, understandably. Um, and others, you know, we just we just kept kept, you know, swimming and swimming, swimming, swimming up to the top. And no matter what was coming through, no matter what bills, because we weren't paid very well, no matter what bills were coming in, and you know, I had times where I couldn't pay the car rego, and and you know, you can't. There was no such thing as calling them on deployment like that. They yeah. can now. And so you know, I had to find I had to find ways to 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 really make things work. And I um, at that point I I went into um, network marketing to Nutramedics. And I ended up building a team really quickly to my surprise. I had 100 consultants in the area working um, in my team. And that, I just started realizing I love organizing and I love, I love getting the best out of people. And for me, I can just look at somebody and have a quick discussion with them and I can instantly just see a potential thread within them and their highest, highest value. I can look at someone really quite quickly, and this is one of my skill sets I've realized, is that I can sit there and I can actually see their greatest potential future. And it's up to them if they choose it or not, because we all have this amazing ability. We all have this incredible thread of opportunity. It's our highest value, our highest being, our highest self. And that's when I realized, wow, I can I can actually, it's, it's not motivation, because you've got to be, motivation is only a part of it mm. and it's not motivation it's actually seeing something in someone that they can't see in themselves and that's what I got passionate about at that time you get a futuristic sense yeah I do and I still do and that's one of the key things that I work with it now absolutely so we talk about that aspect of your leadership what uh, so how else would you describe your leadership style and what values are most important to you as a leader I believe that um, a leader is only as good as the team that surrounds them and that that team, in a sense, can be of a greater excellence than the leader. And if you are sitting there with ego and you don't like the fact that someone's going to lift and rise above you, then I don't believe that you're an advanced conscious leader. And so I'm all about conscious leadership. Conscious leadership is having your own self-awareness and your own understanding of your abilities, but also your your weaknesses or your challenges. I know my weaknesses and my challenges in, in that academic sense, and I can be slow to learn something, but when I'm eager about it and I'm passionate about it, then, it, then I'm all over it. But it takes me a while to learn something. Um, so I surround myself with people who can do the things that I can't, and then... I will see the potential in them and, and teach them and teach them and give them opportunities until they are way above where I could ever be in that area. And then if they get to a point where they are saying they need to expand and move on, then I actually um, support them. I'll, I'll actively support them with get a new role, get a new job. I don't believe in keeping people down. I think it's obviously detrimental for the person, but it's detrimental for the leader. 
and I all am always excited when someone comes to me and goes, you know, they've I've been with you for three years, four years, but I need to, you know, spread my wings. I think there's something else out there, whether or not I believe it's right for them or not. I encourage them, and I always know that what will come in after that person will also be right for the organisation. Brilliant, I like that. So, what did you find most rewarding in your in your corporate world? I loved I loved the corporate world. So many people expect me to say, hated it, couldn't wait to get out of it. Um, what I loved is the regular pay packet. <laughs> I had a really really good pay packet. Um, it's not until you go into your own business that you realise the vulnerability of not having the funds to, to to buy in the best people that you can and and you know and literally buy in the ser- best services that that you can. So, so in the corporate life, there is that that basis and that funding that you can go and you, if you want a service or a, or a product, you just you can go to the, the the top of the market and you know you're getting the best value for that. I loved having a team. I loved being a part of a team. I loved the expansion, but but that came at a cost. And uh, and I'm a I'm a workaholic, and I teach resilience and balance. So I'm constantly learning myself about not not to to to, to break that 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 line. So leaving the corporate world, you know, I, I saw all the benefits, and there are still parts that I do miss from it. But very slow moving decisions, uh, not always listening to the right people at the right time. You know, not being able to get your your message across to to the, the CEO or to you know, the decision makers. Um, you know, just working, just there was no balance, no balance. And I did that to myself and I know I did that to myself because I had something to prove. So what was the why or purpose behind leaving that corporate world and starting your own business? I got to a point where it was a bit of Groundhog Day and it was over and over and over, and I was working in, in large government and defence contracts. And I was, I was basically looking at the fact that it pretty much was the same. Every day was the same. It, I was working 12-hour days. I was constantly, you know, on, it was my Blackberry then, constantly on a plane, constantly travelling, constantly dealing with government and defence <clears throat> who were thinking that they'd been had and they weren't, constantly dealing with my bosses saying, we think you're too much on government and defence side because that's the area that you've come out of. <clears throat> and I wasn't and I was playing the, the, the middle ground for the best best for all. But what I found in this great Groundhog Day moment was that everything was the same. I was just getting more and more zeros at the end of my contracts. And and you know, when you, you, you're getting hundreds of millions of dollar contracts and yet it's the same process and the same work and the same negotiations and the same discussions than when it was a $1 million contract. I said, where, where is this going to go? And there was a lot of stressed people, a lot of toxicity, a lot of um, drinking, partying, a lot of fun. There was so much work and there was, a, there was a lot of play with it and I didn't see balance, I didn't see quality. And there was a defining moment where I was, I was actually having a, um, a massage. And my, my father was um, dying of dementia and my marriage was crumbling and I had three kids in school and it was just, you know, I was living this great life and I was wearing the badge of honour that I was busy. Like it was my badge, that was busy, that's great. And I was in a, in a massage and, and I literally heard this voice saying to me, what are you doing? what are you doing um you either start living the life that you were meant to live and that is by waking the world up and working with conscious leaders and waking up leaders so they're in a consciously connected state or you keep doing what you're going to do and you won't be on the planet much longer and it was as loud as anything and it really threw me and um, i changed my life from that point forward moments that make a difference and obviously that's led now to the pillar practice so can you enlighten us what the pillar practice is and who it's designed for 
The Pillar Practice is a company that started off as a dream and that dream started off with that voice saying that there are truths coming to the planet, <clears throat> there are truths coming to the world and therefore there are truths coming to, the, to individuals. And when, with these truths, and I, I'll explain what I mean in a minute, but what with these truths that there's a lot of fear and there's a lot of anger reaching individuals. And with fear and with anger, it's creating anxiety, depression, trauma, PTSD, autoimmune diseases, dementia, Alzheimer's, and so on. Um, so with this particular situation, people are either choosing consciousness and getting the joy back in their life and getting that awareness and dealing with the truth and literally loving life and, and being the pillar of strength for themselves and being the pillar of strength in their community and their business or they're buying into the fear and the anger and there's a tipping point and the world is waking up and the pillar practice was all about delivering the world a brand new modality to gift people the ability to be able to assist themselves with that waking up assist themselves away from the stress and the sickness and the separation of life and the separation from their purpose back into how they can actually just have that peace and that calmness and um, and we say get your clarity back get your control back and then you get your confidence back and all of that leads to the big c and the big c is consciousness and the positive the big c is consciousness so the pillar practice is for anybody who is looking to live their life in consciousness and that is not in fear and that is having the resilience and the strength and being the pillar of their own life to yes be able to look at truths and truths can be your relationship is not what you thought it was your relationship is toxic and it's hurting you and you either need to fix it or change it or move it it could be that that your job is not what you thought it was and and we have, especially in, in this town, we have people who are saying us that our job is killing us. And yet in government in Australia, they're paid really well. And it's called, called the, the golden handcuffs, that they're, they're literally attached to the golden handcuffs. And they're going, sort of got myself into this financial position where I need the good income, just like I did. But it's killing me. And I know if I stay, it's going to kill me. So... Um, there are also truths waking up in the world, the banking commission, with the, the churches, with all the pedophilia rings, with the pharmaceuticals, with the lies we've been told about certain drugs and particular immunizations and things, um, with the, the, um, the lies that have been, been shown within certain political arenas. There's truths coming up and many, many people are seeking out the truths. They're becoming truth seekers. Um, some people can call it conspiracy, but some people just call it finding the truth. But if you do this in an element of fear and anger, you're actually buying into it. You're making the situation worse. Whereas if, you, if you're looking at it and you can retain your sense of, of love of life and love of the world and absolute joy and balance, and you can consciously go through life and, and look at your truths in life and deal with them. Then, then that's a pretty incredible way to live life. And so the pillar practice deals with babies, children, adults, men, women of all ages, businesses, animals. One of our practitioners is, is treating animals um, and now looking at the land. So it doesn't matter who it's for, but it has to be someone who is actually um, sick of the antidepressants, sick of the anti-anxieties, sick of being drugged up into numbness and actually want to see the truth of their life and lift their life into the greatest possible potential that they've got. So you talk about pillars there. Are, are there set pillars or are the pillars different for each person? And, and how does that consciousness sit within the pillars or does it sit above the pillars or, or is it in the middle of the pillars? <laughs> good, good questions, all good questions. There are set pillars. So this has all been been guided. I've literally received this information. This is this this basic, if you want to call it higher consciousness, has received this information. And it's like the matrix of life. It's been it's the coding of life. So I can go through and 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 take anybody through this particular coding of life. 
and it gives you information about where you are, what you're doing, what your blocks are, where your potential is, where your skill sets are and where your weaknesses may be, etc. That's including physical health, mental health, businesses. So there are nine pillars. And what happens is, is practitioners on one-on-one, -on -one, they take people through this universal stepping stone. And so there are, they are set pillars, but they're like the coding system of the universe. And it actually takes people through where they are within these particular pillars. Pillar one's the pillar of peace. So we've got a lot of people out there who aren't in peace. They're not calm. They're stressed and they're in turmoil and they're chaotic. And so all of this is creating this just complete disorder and dysfunction of, of people's lives. And so pillar one is just getting people back into their peace state. And only with peace, then can you expand in your belief. If you're trying to believe in something, if you're trying to believe in your job and believe in your business or believe in your staff or believe in something, but you're not coming from a basis of peace, you can try and believe all you like, but you, you'll always be coming from a, from a state of doubt. And only when you get into your belief state, then can you actually be the manifester or the creator of your life and your business. So we look at either you know, people's um, lives, their relationships, and there's this set processes we go through about you know, how much peace or not there is actually is within their, their journey. And we look at what was, we look at the past, what, is, what has been affecting you from your subconscious and your unconscious, because they're the things that, that affect us our most. Anything in our conscious, we can deal with. We can deal, we can deal with it. If we consciously know that we've got some challenges or issues or something and it's in our conscious state, we will do something about it. But it's when it's in our subconscious and our definitely our unconscious state, we can't access that. And so what the, what the modality does is, is accesses that past state, work, works out and shows you exactly what it's doing to you now. And then, importantly, then guide you into where you're choosing. And people's lives and businesses, they just go through the roof. And so we take them through pillar by pillar. And each pillar is also linked into a specific physical disorder or a mental disorder. And um, so we have amazing fun with our clients as we just take them through. It's a 12-step program, but we take them through this. And it's quite incredible what we're seeing. Fantastic. So the World Health Organization has just recognized burnout as a diagnosable medical condition. So we've already been talking about burnout here along the way. So how important is this decision in being a catalyst to change in the way that businesses and leaders conduct their work? This is incredible news. This is just absolutely amazing news that the World Health Organization would come up with this and actually put a label on something we have all known in the business world, in our families, in our communities, in our, in our lives forever. Burnout is when someone has just pushed themselves to their absolute extreme. And in the sporting arena, you see it when someone burns out and they cross the line and their, their body shakes and their body heaves into their complete and utter burnout. But they are pushing themselves because there is a line to cross. In the business world or our relationships or our family world, what we're doing, we're doing exactly the same thing. But that line that we're trying to cross is success and happiness. And what is success and what is happiness? And so when people feel they haven't reached that line, they'll keep pushing and pushing and pushing and pushing. And then they'll even drug themselves, either um, you know, medical drugs or they'll actually you know, self-drug self themselves with alcohol and, and smartphones and, and all sorts of things to numb the fact that we're about to burn out. And so what's happening is we're getting this generation, and fortunately it's actually even going to our schools for our children, we're getting a generation of burnout. And instead of accepting the fact that someone's about to burn out, we get drugged. Let's not, let's not realize that we're in burnout. Let's drug you to numb you to block the effect that you actually know you're about to be burnt out and you keep going with your miserable life or your, your stressful job. So for the fact that we've actually got someone saying that there is, there is something you know, that is recognizable and it is burnout will change the dynamics just as when we started talking about mental health 20, 30 years ago and it first of all was a taboo, but now it's 
everybody you talk to is saying, well, I've got anxiety about this and I've got stress about that and I'm on antidepressants for this. It's a natural, normal thing, unfortunately. So this is quite incredible because it'll allow people to sit there and go, get your life and work balance back. Get your happiness back. Why are we on this journey if we're not happy? Why are we here if we're not living our joy? Why are we here if we're not feeling like we have meaning and value? And one of the greatest things that we show our clients and our our CEOs is that what's your purpose? And if you can connect your skill set, your capabilities, what you've done at uni, what you've learned, what you've got a paper um, accomplishment about, and your passion and your joy, and if you can link those two together, that equals your purpose. You'll never, you'll never hit burnout because you'll be passionate about every day and you'll be able to keep yourself in balance because you'll know that you have to actually keep yourself in balance to keep your passion going. So I, I, I just think the, this, um, this news is, is quite incredible. It's, it's up to us now. What do we do about it? And I think there's, there's what well, we all know, there's major issues in the way that we work and, and kind of those cultures that occur over time. And it's just like, oh, this is the way we have always worked. This is the way we have always coached, for instance, as a, from a sport point of view. And we, it, it's that ability to understand that, it, as you say, it doesn't require an intervention of drugs to numb it. It's like let's let's deal with the root cause not with the signs that you're exactly. that we're seeing and so i think that's a great approach that you're taking from the pillar code there so we talked about connecting leaders consciously early on how do people really recognize this in a leader a consciously connected leader will be someone firstly they have enough peace and pause to be able to look you eye to eye hand to hand and heart to heart if someone is so busy they can't actually direct a gaze and look in your eye. They're not hearing you. They may be listening to you. They may, may be reading your emails, but they're not, they're, not, they're not hearing. They're not hearing what's going on. They're not sensing what's going on. A consciously connected CEO is someone who has that gut instinct, that knowing, and they take that knowing and they match it with their intellectual and analytical and they match it and they breed it into one. So it's not just the numbers, the stats, the figures, the services, the strategic plan that they've got in place. They're matching this with the gut instinct. A consciously connected CEO will be not only um, around their team and taking their team off to functions and things, you know, like you know, Christmas parties and pat on the back and you get a $500 bonus, but they'll actually be sitting them down and going, if you're in my spot, what would you do? If you were writing my performance review, which I get my team to write my performance review, what, what would you say about me? A consciously connected leader is not scared to say that I'm actually going to have half an hour every day meditating or going for a walk in the park because I need to get myself grounded again before I make this decision. Consciously connected leader is one that says, I am sorry, I made a mistake, or I don't know the answer to this, let's work it out together. And they are, they are someone that who is not only happy to lift their team, but they are passionate about having conscious team members because they will be community spirit, they will be community minded, and their organization will not just be successful in, in dollars and awards and rewards, but they'll be successfully implemented within the community, doing good for their community. Oh, I like that. and it's. You know, I'm starting to think now about different leaders I've worked with and whether I could spot some of those. One of the tools you use is called sealing. What makes this technique so effective and what does it achieve? Sealing is a very quick form of consciously uh, meditating without going into a meditating, uh, without having to you know, go and lie down and put incense on and, and go and take your way, yourself away and for 20 minutes and zone out. Um, we teach this to children and to, to adults, um, to leaders. It is a very, very quick way of getting your own energy sense and rebalancing it and connecting in. And it is something you can do for one or two minutes and you literally just ground yourself instantly. We've, um, we've got children who... Um, have 
been diagnosed and therefore drugged and they're lashing out of a little boy I spoke to last last week, a client of ours, who at seven spent more days suspended from school than he actually was allowed to go to school from lashing out and so on. He's gone through the pillar code and I've actually got an appointment at two o'clock this afternoon with his principal and his teacher. He spent all of this year in school. He hasn't hit anybody, hasn't lashed out. He's now able to focus on his maths, he's able to actually get to school. He, he now said to me, PJ, I actually have friends. I have six friends. He's just turned eight. Broke my heart to see he's a gorgeous, gorgeous little boy. And one of the things that the parents went into the classroom with and said he's been taught this sealing technique, if ever he starts to get frustrated or you see him getting agitated, he's gonna to start to do this sealing technique. This is what it looks like. You not only to allow him to do it, but to encourage him. And he will just sit there very quietly and he will just, just sit there and the teacher will know he's sealing. He'll go into it for a minute. He'll come straight back out. Happy boy. Incredible. It is incredible. And it's when we look at, say, CEOs and leaders as, as a, an example who have a very busy schedule, generally it's way too busy. It shouldn't be as busy as they generally make them is that something like this is so is profoundly effective for them because they need to be able to make sure that when they walk into a meeting or walk in to uh, greet someone or spend some time with mm. their team or even put an email together, that they've got to be in that state where they can perform. Yeah. If, if their mind is just moving at 100 miles an hour and it's chaotic and, and there's, there's no centeredness to it, then who knows what can happen. And, and obviously we see the effects of that long-term in, in different organizations and with different people. So very incredible. I like, I like that ceiling aspect. <laughs> has there been someone who has left a remarkable impression on your career or your life and, and who you are as a person of influence? My, my first, gosh, my first um, thought goes to unfortunately, unfortunately or fortunately, my greatest battles, my greatest life challenges have become the most memorable. And so as soon as you said that, I went, I instantly went into challenges. And, and the fact that for every challenge, I've just, you know, paddled and paddled and paddled. And the greatest thing I've learned from, from my challenges is that only quitters fail. And that's what I stand by now. And I have had great bosses, one boss in particular who, when I was with at Toll, he wasn't really liked by too many, too many people, but he took a shining to me and he, he mentored me and he said, PJ, the best thing you can do for the bastards is show your success. <laughs> and I said, okay. Um, and I've had so many people tell me you won't be able to do it. You can't do it. And I hate the fact that when you ask me that question, they're the things that instantly came to mind. Um, because it, it has given me a sense of the fact that I'm not a quitter. I'm not a quitter. I'm not going to get to the end of this life and go, I didn't give it my best shot. And so it's created the person that I am. But when you ask me that question in the positive, um, look, things like our clients, our clients really, I, I, I think I, I get the most gratitude from and I get, I get my absolute humble, you know, appreciation for what we're doing. When people say, I was a day away from killing myself, when my practitioners, because we teach practitioners our work, when practitioners come to us and go, oh my goodness, I've just received a, a letter from this lady saying, that she had basically said that if the pillar code didn't work, she had already planned her, her end of life. And by pillar six, she said, oh my God, my life turned around. And I got to pillar six and that terrified me. I thought, oh my goodness. Um, but they're the people, they're the people who sit there and go, I'm gonna give this a go. I've got nothing to lose because my life, my life is not great. And um, and we don't just deal with people who are suicidal or, you know, we, we deal with stage four cancer. Or we deal with little boys who've just been drugged because they were finding out because they were scared. But we deal with people who just want to have a high performance in life. And so that, 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 you know, 
can be elite athletes, elite business people. So unfortunately, I've got my greatest resilience from the negative that's, that has given me this fighter instinct, but I have my greatest gratitude and humbleness from, from those who have lifted and changed their lives. Very powerful. You've done a lot of amazing work with people and organizations, not only here in Australia, but around the world, the flow on effect and, and the, the ripple effect that's occurring. What habits or routines ensure that you are leading the pillar code lifestyle? Oh, I get told by my team all the time that <laughs> I'm pushing the boundaries that I'm not. Uh, I, I went so deep diving into the creation and the making sure that the modality was in its purest state and teachable and then simplified because one of my greatest weaknesses is that I will I will overcomplicate the hell out of something and then I have to the bubble will burst I have to come back to being simple keep it simple and then we'll keep it simple for a while and then I'll overcomplicate it and I'll come back so I am constantly on that treadmill I'm so driven and I'm so passionate I, I always have to have that keep your head up and have a look around what I'm doing. And I went into to such a state over, over four years of development that my spirituality, my consciousness was so fine-tuned, so aware. But I actually let my body health and my fitness go. And I didn't realize it until I lifted my head back up and, and I've got the team going, hang on, what's going on with you? Um, that now I'm now I've adjusted that so I'm far from perfect no it's perfect but it's about awareness and adjustment and as long as I can go the three things we teach people always have acceptance then you can have the truth and awareness around what's happening and then you can choose where you're going with gratitude so that that takes quite quite a non-egotistical state to do that and so I'm always admitting my, my weaknesses <laughs> or my challenges. And I, you know, I'm bringing that balance back into looking after my body again. As you said earlier, the, the greatest impact of a leader is to recognize their weaknesses and, and be able to, to be open it. embrace I, it. I embrace it. Yeah. What allows you to free your mind and ensure that you recharge your batteries? The... The pillar code itself, the, the modality, the, um, the tools, there's this beautiful tools through it, um, including, including a ceiling, um, a mindfulness state, actually um, getting up of a morning and, and, and knowing that you know, I've, I've set tasks by making it fun. So I will, I will keep that balance by going, okay, today, yes, I'm you know, choosing that, that this goes really well today. And, um, you know, today I'm, I'm choosing that, you know, that particular client interview goes well, that practitioner training goes really well, but then I'll add an element of fun. Then I'm actually choosing there's some, gonna, some mysterious thing going to come out of the ether and blow my socks away and I wouldn't have expected it and I have a good belly laugh about it. So I like to keep things fun. Our office is always lots of laughter, lots of fun. Um, you know, we, we teach peace, not stress. So, you know, we, we're constantly, we're constantly, um, you know, practicing what we preach in the team and it's easy around the team. You know, in our meetings, the first thing we do with wins of the week and wins of the week, personal wins and work wins. And we have been doing that tradition for, for years. And so we always, you know, we will always start our meeting with a positive and we always have solutions in the middle of a meeting and we always end the, the, the meeting with the actions of the positive. So it, it's, it's ingrained. So we all know smart people have great answers, but the best people ask great questions. When was the last time you did something for the first time? I, I feel I constantly do things for the first time. Uh, I had a friend who just said to me um, a few weeks ago, we are going to um, get you away, you're working lots, get your balance back, and we're going to go to a place that you haven't been before. So on Monday, I just came back from the Blue Mountains. And so we had a and um, b up there, went up there with a girlfriend, did lots of tracking, lots of walking, which hasn't been my life recently. And 
literally just let let the flow go and we just we were, were went to um, the information center and said you just you just guide us for three days um, and she did and so we just let the wind take us and it was absolutely sensational and it, and it really you know it, it's only four hours from from here and and I sat there and went how disgraceful that I haven't <laughs> spent more time <laughs> or I haven't been up there and and that was really good I love traveling to new places I always like to travel new places um, but the other thing probably the biggest most monumental thing that I've done for the first time was that I was literally guided to write a book on what we were doing and so I published that in January now my school teachers would laugh at that they would be stunned so I think that's probably one of my biggest things that I've done for the first time I'm in the middle of writing my own book at the moment and I failed English right until the last exam so I think I'm in the same boat there. <laughs> what was the one question that you would love to solve? I would love to solve the walking dead state. If I could be a part of a movement of everyday people who know that it's not okay to live your life in the walking dead state and that no matter what you do, I don't care what it is that you do, but you lift into your consciousness and you happily go about your purpose. That would be absolutely top of the range amazing. I love that question and you've definitely gone on a different angle than what we've had before. So I, I like that one that resonates well with me too. You know, there's, there's gotta be a why and a purpose to why we're on this planet. and to let that go and let that opportunity go is mm. a disservice to yourself and an opportunity that you're letting go for the rest of the world to see as well. How do you know you're in a peak state of mind? I, I'm in a peak state of mind when I feel very, very calm. I have immense clarity and I'm articulating really well and thoughts come to me that seem to be from above me, that seem to be my higher consciousness coming through with these beautiful messages or thoughts or processes or systems. That's when I know. And it's, um, it's literally what we teach in the Pillar Code is the calmness, the, the clarity and the confidence. And when you can, when you can line that up and it, it's this sweet spot and you click into that and time seems to stand still and I become far more efficient, far more effective um, in my process, my outcomes. But everything slows, just it slows into efficiency. And I love that state. PJ, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the Active CEO podcast. And I've loved the fact that we've had a chance to really take a deep dive into the pillar code and understand where it came from. It came it all started on that one day having a massage and, and being on that table and that question being asked in your head and it being so profound that you it changed the way you led your life and has changed the way that many people are getting to live their lives around the world. You're talking about the, the importance of, of people having that, that clarity, um, that understanding of themselves and ensuring that they have the confidence to, to lead the life that they're, they're born here to do as well. And I really love the fact that you're, you're healing in a way that doesn't require drugs. It doesn't require these interventions that can be quite traumatic at times, can be very expensive, can be very challenging. And you're focusing on things that we can make changes to really, really quickly. And you don't have to be someone that is, is in trouble. It may be just, wanting to go to a higher performance. Absolutely. And so I really appreciate what you are doing and the opportunity to spend some time with you today talking this through, um, especially that we, a lot of our listeners either have been through it or they see it in that burnout, that stress life and people not having a, not so much a balance, but having a, a holistic life where it's not just all on work or it's just not all on one part of their life. It is being able to ensure that you get to enjoy many other aspects of life. 
So thank you, thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. It's been an absolute honor. This week's Active CEO Wellness Tip is bigger than themselves. You have to dig deep and find out what truly motivates each employee on your team. What gets them up every day and what will allow them to draw more energy to perform with distinction in your company. What is the greater purpose? Because people want to do something much bigger than what your company stands for and something that is bigger than themselves. You have to find that greater purpose that allows people to lift up, bring the energy and deliver amazing things every single day. Thanks for listening to the insightful conversation with PJ Ashley, Consciously Connected Leadership on episode 41 of the Active CEO podcast. To ensure you keep up to date with the latest Active CEO podcast, please make sure you select the subscribe button on your favorite podcast app. If you enjoyed the interview with PJ, then please feel free to share on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter, and also leave an Active CEO podcast review on your favorite podcast app. As well as the Active CEO podcast, the team at Energy to Perform also work with CEOs and leaders to improve their high-performing skills as both a person and as a leader guiding high-performing teams. We have developed Breaking the CEO Code, keynote speech, coaching framework, and corporate programs so you can learn the four basic fundamentals required to achieve high performance and the three P's of CEO or leader high performance, CEO periodization, CEO presence, and CEO performance. When speaking with sport coaches from grassroots to high performance, they felt they could gain a lot from the program, so we're developing Breaking the Coach Code as well. Please feel free to contact us on www.energytoperform.com or craig at nrg 2 perform.com to book a complimentary call to find out how the breaking the CEO code or breaking the coach code can help you deliver a higher performance. This is the Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong. Join the Active CEO movement by visiting www.nrgtoperform.com. That's N-R-G number two perform.com. Share this podcast on LinkedIn and be sure to tag in NRG to perform. Leave a review on iTunes. Drop us a line with your feedback and questions and connect with us on the NRG to perform Facebook and Instagram pages. Be sure to check out the next Active CEO podcast where the ordinary don't belong.